And now, O oh Father, we come again with hearts that hunger for your truth and your word. We've sung these wonderful truths, these doctrines, and we praise you for them. We praise you for the gift of singing. Praise you, Father, that by obeying your command to sing your praises, we speak to our own hearts and you set them aflame in love for the Lord Jesus Christ and you, O oh Father, by the power of your spirit. And so we praise you, Father. And most of all, we praise you for your book, the Word of God, the Bible, because therein is contained everything we need pertaining to life and godliness, and nothing is lacking. And so, Father, we praise you for it, because by it, your servants are warned, and in keeping them, there is great reward. And so we give you praise, Father, and we ask you, even as we look at this warning passage this morning once again, give us discernment, grant us hearts that desire to, to live by the book, not according to the letter, but according to the Spirit. May you be glorified in us as we walk in the joy of our God and in obedience to his word. And Father, we give you praise for these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen and amen. I'd like to pick up where we left off last time, but before we do, let me just qualify what I said last week or restate what I said last week, and that is I realize that what I preached last week and what I'm going to preach again this week is hard for some to accept because they have a sensitive spirit and, and praise God for that. But we need to understand that God does not just call us to listen to every spiritual word and every spiritual teacher. Most, most of what is taught under the guise of spirituality in this world is false teaching. And it is true only to the extent that it is consistent with God's written word. I know that's narrow, but that's the nature of truth. It is inherently true, and everything outside of it and against it is inherently false. More than that, by clinging to, what, to that which is false rather than what is true, we put ourselves, our church, and our children in grave danger because we are believing something that we, we think is true when in fact it's a lie. And by doing so, we put ourselves, as I said, in grave danger. Now, when I'm talking about these things, I'm not talking about men who stand in pulpits Sunday after Sunday with whom we may disagree on some issues. I mean, we are uh, very committed to the sufficiency of Scripture. And within the realm of biblical Christianity, that kind of puts us, you know, at odds to some degree with other people. And that's fine. We love those brothers. They're serving the Lord according to their knowledge of the Word of God. They're seeking to be faithful. This is not about the Calvinist versus Arminian debate. That's an, in, an in-house debate. Clearly, the Arminians are wrong, but we love them. <laughs> we love them. And frankly, when I sent my son to Word of Life Bible Institute, I knew it was an Arminian school. I went there myself. But I said, son, they're brothers. Go down and listen to them. Don't just listen to a caricature that I give you about what they teach. There are brothers in Christ. Worship with them. Serve with them. And learn their position. And you then wrestle with it and determine whether or not what you've been taught all your life is true. And you better. 
or you're in trouble. No. <laughs> well, my point is that's an in-house debate. We love those brothers. And sometimes, you know, we, we get in disputes with them and we walk away and we go worship together and we go serve together and that's wonderful. That is not what we're talking about here. This is what we're talking about. Let me show you. This is an envelope that I got in the mail, I think when I was in seminary. It's a little dated, but uh, just gives you a, a, a very clear picture of what Jeremiah is speaking about and what I have been preaching about. This is a prayer hanky. Everybody have one of these? You shouldn't. Uh, um, <laughs> I hope. And this. Are you familiar with this guy? When was the last time I had a visual aid up here? Um, this is um, Robert Tilton, calls himself Bob. Hi, Bob. Um, here we go. Watch this now. Uh, so you get this in the mail from a spiritual leader who is saying that he's speaking from God, and as he's speaking on television, he breaks out into speaking in tongues, which is nothing more than gibberish. Um, and here's what he does. Watch this. Power, wealth. The power to create, acquire, and produce wealth. Your personal word poster. This is, and I have another one in here if you want it. Your personal word poster. Number one, for the next three days, claim each power verse below. Check it off as you go along. Read eat one, each, each one out loud. Check the verse and say, this is for me. Let your faith soar to new levels of believing. Say, that's for me, 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 that's for me. Thou shalt, and here he's quoting scripture, thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth the power to get wealth. Get means to acquire, produce, create, harvest, wealth. Hold your green prayer cloth in your hands and release your faith. Got it right here. Number two, then send me your green prayer, uh, your green miracle link prayer cloth I will touch it, that's helpful, <laughs> and pray a special prayer of prosperity for you and your miracle request. Then I will send you my green prayer cloth for you to carry with you. Now, now it, it says everything where he wants you to carry it. Place it in your wallet or purse or checkbook, and it will become our link of faith for your financial miracle of wealth and health. And then, by the way, don't forget to sow your best seed for your harvest of blessing and wealth, which means, being interpreted, in case you didn't get it, send me your money. Send me the money. Exactly right. And, and that's not a guess. It's exactly what he has on the back of this. There are two, four, six, eight people, or eight couples, individuals and couples, who say that because they sent money to Robert Tilton, that God blessed them. And years ago, the reason that he's no longer in Dallas and is taking up residence in Florida is because years ago, 60 Minutes or 2020 did an expose on him and showed uh, out behind his office, they have a big green dumpster, and they started digging through his dumpster and found all of the prayer requests that had come into him that month. They weren't praying for these things. They were ripping open the envelopes, taking the checks, putting them in the bank. That's who we're talking about. And beloved, there are people who do this every day. There are people who are doing it today. They're on television. They have lots of money. They have lots of 
I would say your money, but I hope they don't have any of your money. And the people who, who really suffer by this are the people who have greatest need, whose churches should be loving them and taking care of them and shepherding them and helping them. But rather than being a part of a good, solid local church that's doing that and be under their authority, under the, the word of God, they're hoping for a miracle out from under the local church, out from under biblical authority, hoping for a miracle, a sign, a wonder, something that will get them out of their circumstance when everything they have and everything they need is right here. As it is applied through the church, and that's the way God has intended it. That's the way God has intended it. False teachers are everywhere. False teachers are absolutely everywhere. And I realize that some people don't like to be negative, and, and frankly, I don't want to spend too much time on this. I'd rather spend my time just expounding on the text. But these things need to be said, because it doesn't matter what country you're in, it doesn't matter what state you're in, even in Texas, somehow especially in Texas, and I'm not sure why, but all around this Fort Worth area, up here, Eagle Mountain Lake, and around there's posters, there's billboards, there's all kinds of things advertising the local false teachers. And people go to them in droves and empty their wallets thinking that God will pay them back for their faith. Nothing new here. So last week we began this two-part series, really, ironically, out of the Old Testament and I say ironically because we think this is a new thing. It is not a new thing. I mean, we're back in Jeremiah, 600 years before Jesus was born. And let me read to you another portion of what he had to say. In fact, let's turn to Jeremiah chapter 23. And we'll stand together and follow along with me. Jeremiah chapter 23. I'll give you a second to find it because it's way back there where we don't read very often. But go ahead and stand. Jeremiah 23, and I'm going to pick up in verse 16. Listen to the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who are prophesying to you. They are leading you into futility. They speak a vision of their own imagination, not from the mouth of the Lord. They keep saying to those who despise me, the Lord has said you will have peace. And as for everyone who walks in the stubbornness of his own heart, they say calamity will not come to you. But who has stood in the counsel of the Lord that he should see and hear his word? Who has given heed to his word and listened? Behold, the storm of the Lord has gone forth in wrath, even a whirling tempest. It will swirl down on the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has performed and carried out the purposes of his heart. In the last days, you will clearly understand it. I did not send these prophets, but they ran. I did not speak to them, but they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, they, have, they would have announced my words to my people and would have turned them back from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. Am I a God who is near, declares the Lord, and not a God who is far off? Can a man hide himself in hiding places so that I do not see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill the heavens and the earth, declares the Lord? I have heard the prophets, 
I've heard what the prophets have said who prophesy falsely in my name, saying, I had a dream, I had a dream. How long? Is there anything in the hearts of the prophets who prophesy falsely, even these prophets of the deception of their own heart, who intend to make my people forget my name by the dreams which they relate to one another, just as their fathers forgot my name because of Baal? The prophet who has a dream may relate his dream, but let him who has my word speak my word in truth. What does straw have in common with grain, declares the Lord? Is not my word like a fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer which shatters the rock? Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who steal my words from each other. Behold, I am against the prophets, declare the Lord, who use their tongue and declare, the Lord declares. Behold, I am against those who have prophesied false dreams, declares the Lord, and relate them and led my people astray by their falsehoods and reckless boasting. Yet I did not send them or command them, nor do they furnish this people the slightest benefit, declares the Lord. Wow. That is an amazing text of scripture for our times. You can be seated. Praise God for his word. And so last week we launched into a message I was unable to finish due to time on this question, how do you identify a false teacher? I mean, there are an awful lot of people out there. These Israelites obviously couldn't do it. The Lord was furious at the false prophets. Not because they were speaking and not having an influence, but because they were speaking and having influence over the people. They were like Robert Tilton and Jesse Duplantis and other men who were saying that they are hearing from God and leading people astray for their own personal gain. And so we were looking at distinguishing marks of a false teacher. Distinguishing mark number one, they neither model nor teach biblical holiness. They neither model nor teach biblical holiness. If you could see behind the scenes at what their lives are really like, they don't know God. They don't love God. Their God is gold. They love money. And they love your money and want you to send it in. I remember when I was a kid, there was a guy on television, not a preacher, but remember Soupy Sales? How many of you older folks remember Soupy Sales? He got in serious trouble and, and I think went to jail because he got on television and he told all the children who were watching his program, he said, children, you see those little green things in your mommy and daddy's wallets? Those are aliens from outer space. And if you would send them to me, I'll destroy them for you. And kids started sending in money. And he went to jail. Um, he was just fooling around. But you know what? These guys, these false teachers, they're not fooling around. They're using the word of God to make you think that they have authority which God has never given them. They tell of visions and dreams and words they have gotten directly from the Holy Spirit so that you will be awed by their authority and presence and, and charisma. And then they'll tell you, listen, if you give to the Lord, and he will bless you. And the irony there is, that is a plausible lie. There is truth in that. If you're faithful with your money, the Lord blesses. The Lord takes care of you. You may, you may never get rich, 
But if you're living in obedience to God's word, not just in your giving, but in every area, God takes care of you. I mean, that's just the way it is. Can't tell you how many times in my life, with all of our kids, and with one child who's constantly needing you know, medical care, and there are some days when we think, Lord, how are we ever gonna pay the bills? And you know what? They always get paid. Sometimes we don't even know how. The money just shows up, it comes in, it, it gets to the place it needs to go. And we just, we just fall on our faces before God, as it were, and say, God, you are, you're so, you're so glorious in keeping your promises. You're so kind to us. You are Jehovah Jireh. That's how we should be living, by faith. Not in search of miracles. Not in search of someone to give us a shortcut to God's blessing. There are no shortcuts. There just are no shortcuts. You have to daily live before God, keeping a short account of sin, keeping your heart on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ. He takes care of his people. And it's not easy, but it is glorious. But these guys, they don't care about personal holiness. All they care about is, uh, is your money. Number two, they have abandoned the true word of God. They've abandoned the true word of God. What they're into is not teaching and preaching the word of God, although it's sometimes it seems like they are because they put verses on their envelopes. And all it does is give them false authority to teach lies. They've abandoned the word of God in favor of dreams and voices that they have heard and visions. Number three, they give preference to personal visions uh, instead of the Bible. And that, I just kind of covered that. But let's jump to number four, where we pick up today. Are we ready? Number four, they often use the phrase, God told me. God told me. And you know what? Some of you use that phrase too, and you should stop. Don't say that. Don't say God told you. Unless you're talking about a verse in Scripture taken in its context that convicted your heart, then yes, God told you. If you're talking about some voice that you hear, some warm wind up the back of your neck, some you know, quiver in your liver, and a thought comes to mind, and you think, that's from God. Might not be. It might be the pepperoni you had last night for dinner. Who knows what it was? But if it didn't come from the Word of God, listen, apart from the Holy Spirit, excuse me, apart from the Word of God, the Holy Spirit never, never speaks. He does not speak. He will not give you a new word. Yes, give you desires to do things that are holy. Yes, give you a desire to minister to someone that you didn't have a desire to minister to before. Yes, unexplainable desire or aversion from something that's sinful. Yes, that's all the subjective work of the Spirit. And I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit doesn't work subjectively. He does, but it's always consistent with the Word of God. And he's never giving you a new word. Solomon was right, frankly. There's nothing new under the sun. What was happening today, what's happening today was happening all the way back in Jeremiah's day. We think this book was written in 620 BC, 620 years before Jesus was born. They often use the phrase, God told me. Look at verse 31. Verse 31 says, Behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who use their tongues and declare, the Lord declares. The Lord declares. This is really all he's saying is these people say, God told me, you better listen. God is speaking to me. He's not speaking to you. Speaking to me. You need to listen to me. 
And beloved, you know what? That's a lie. It's a lie. You know how much God speaks to me? The same amount he speaks to you. And the only difference might be if you spend more time in the word of God than I do. And I think some of you do. Some of you have got time. Some of you just love the scriptures and you're devouring and memorizing the word of God. And I think, wow, that is amazing. I'm not even sure I can keep up with that much meditation on God's word. Praise God for you. You are hearing as much of the word of God as you want to hear. To the degree that you're meditating on the words of this book, you are hearing from God. And I don't hear any more from him than you do. It's just that I get the privilege of studying his word in order to teach God's word. And so are there insights that I come up with that you might miss? Yeah, I hope so. I mean, that's, that's why I don't have a regular job. You're paying me to be here to study the word of God so all of us can understand it better. But you can do what I do. I don't have some special anointing like Robert Tilton says he has. There's no special anointing. I'm no more holy necessarily than you are. I don't have more capacity to understand the word of God than you do. You have the Holy Spirit, same as me. And here's the thing. We're both under the authority of Scripture. I am no less under the authority of Scripture than you are. This book is my authority. This book is your authority. And if ever you hear something from my mouth that doesn't line up with Scripture, then you should reject it. Or you should at least come and talk to me about it. This happened to me a few weeks ago. A brother came to me and said, hey, I heard what you said, loved it, love your preaching, blesses me. But on this one point where you said this, that, or the other, forget what it was, did you consider this scripture, which may have led you down a totally different path? And I had to say, you know what? I missed that. If I had seen that scripture, remembered it, or found it in my study, you're right. I would have gone a different direction with that. Thankfully, it wasn't anything crucial. But he was right. But he was doing what every believer should do. Listen to the word of God preached. Like the Bereans did, Paul says, they received the word with gladness, but then went to check it out to see if what Paul was teaching was true against the scriptures. And that's the way it should always be. Forget about God told me, unless you're speaking about God speaking through his word. And so we see this again very clearly in chapter 28. Here's an illustration of it. Jeremiah chapter 28, if in your Bible, if you have headings on your chapters, it probably says something like Hananiah's false prophecy. Hananiah was a false prophet. Now, let me remind you of the history of this. God had made a covenant with Israel through Moses. If you obey my word, I will bless you. If you disobey my word and turn your back on me and serve idols, I will curse you. And the ultimate curse was going to be he would bring nations in from the outside to destroy them. In 722 B.C., that's exactly what he did to the northern tribe of Israel. He destroyed them, took them captivity, never to return again. In 586, he was about to bring Babylon in to attack the southern kingdom of Judah, which lived around Jerusalem and in the region there. And that's the period Jeremiah was preaching in. And he was saying, the Lord is coming. The storm, the tornado that he mentioned earlier in the passage that we read a few minutes ago was about the wrath of God coming on these people because they had begun to serve idols and had turned their back on God. And God had told them, Nebuchadnezzar is coming and he's going to take you into captivity 
for 70 years. 70. Seven, zero. It was a very specific number. 70, not 69, not 71. It would be 70 years, and then I will return you to your land. But watch what happens with Hananiah. Chapter 28, Hananiah stood up again, verse, uh, verse 2, and declared this. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years, I'm going to bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried them to Babylon. But this was a false prophecy. The Lord never said that. In fact, the people and all the articles of the temple were to spend 70 years in Babylon until one day King Cyrus would come and almost inexplicably and absolutely right on time. It's like he wakes up one morning and says, you know what? We've had those Jews here long enough. And I feel really bad that, that a previous king came and took them captive and brought them here. And so he called the leaders and he says, listen, um, basically, we're so sorry. Why don't, why don't you take your people and go back and let us help you build the temple? We want to help you build the temple and and later on build the walls, and then they went back right on time. But here's what happened. Hananiah said, listen, it's only going to be two years. It's not going to be 70. Don't listen to Jeremiah. We know the king of Babylon is coming. Maybe by this time he'd already come. Don't listen to Jeremiah. It's not going to be 70 years. It's only going to be two. So rest, be at peace. In two years, everything's going to be restored. But it was a false teaching. Beloved, I have to tell you that something inside of me cringes horribly whenever I hear someone say, the Lord told me. You know, I was sitting at the cafeteria eating a peanut butter sandwich, and the Lord said to me, I mean, right then, I just want to say, listen, look at the time. I got to go. Because whatever it is you're about to say, frankly, I have no interest in and, and I really fear for you. If that's the way you're living, you're getting new words from God every day. If that's the way you're living, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. Because that's not the Holy Spirit speaking to you. That's not the Holy Spirit speaking to you. That's your desires. That's your flesh. That's a demon. I don't know what it is. But if you're hearing words, we've got a problem. And more than that, I know by the authority of Scripture that many people who say they are hearing from God are really hearing the promptings of their own imagination. And this is exactly what Jeremiah is saying here in chapter 23, or it's coming from their own desires of the flesh or the voice of a demon. I also know that God himself has said that his written word is sufficient for all things pertaining to life and godliness. And so please pardon me if I'm a little skeptical when you say, the Lord told me. Or the Lord said. The really troubling thing about saying God told me is that by doing so, a person elevates a subjective word or message above the level of scrutiny. I mean, if, if you're hearing from God, what do I have to contribute? I mean, I may know beyond any shadow of doubt that what you just told me God said is absolutely contrary to Scripture. God told me to leave my husband. 
God told me that it's okay. My happiness is, is more important than my marriage. Really? I can show you in scripture where that's false. But because God told you, who am I? Who am I? The word of God's not authority. It's this voice that you're hearing. It's this impression that you're getting from who knows where. And so when you say, God told me, you just elevated yourself above God's word and you've put yourself in a dangerous position where nobody can scrutinize what you said. Because if God is telling you that, it's infallible. It's inerrant. And who is going to have the authority, the audacity to question that? This is a really troubling and very dangerous thing. And you know what? The church in America is accepting more and more and more of this mentality. More and more of it. Everybody gets a personal word. And isn't it interesting that the more this is happening in the church, the weaker the church historically becomes. The church today isn't stronger than it used to be. It's bigger. It's not stronger. We're about the weakest we've ever been in America in terms of a church that is living holy lives, whose marriages are strong, whose children grow up to love God. I mean, there's hardly, hardly ever, maybe never been a generation in the history of our country when we've done worse at the, at the really critical things than what we are now. Hearing words isn't helping. The only thing that's going to help is obeying the word. Obeying the word, which is given to us in Scripture. That's why Brent read earlier today out of 1 John, he said, he read this for all of us. This beloved apostle pleads with us saying, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And the danger is you're going to believe one of these false prophets because he's going to promise you something that God never said he would give. And the person who made the prophecy or the promise is going to benefit, and you're the loser for it. Jeremiah 29, verses 8 and 9. You can turn there if you want. Just turn the page. Jeremiah 29, 8 and 9. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets who are in your midst and your diviners deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams which they dream, for they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them declares the Lord. I've not sent them. A true shepherd of God's people will only say God has said when he can point to a text of scripture and demonstrate it plainly in its context. And so, characteristic number four for a false teacher is they often use the phrase, God told me. Characteristic number five, and this one is insidious. They give false hope to religious unbelievers. They give false hope to religious unbelievers. And I'm speaking of the people who are attending their churches. Jeremiah 23, back in 23 again, look at verse 17. Jeremiah 23, 17. They keep saying to those who despise me, the Lord has said you will have peace. And as for everyone who walks in the stubbornness of the heart, their own heart, they say, calamity will not come upon you. You can have your best life now. And it's a lie. God never told you that. I mean, just think about that logically. If this is your best life, then what happens after you die? 
And too many people are going to end up in an eternal fate that they will eternally regret because they believed a plausible lie. Plausible only because it sounds logical. Only because verses and humanistic thoughts are drawn together in a cohesive manner that makes it sound true. It sounds plausible. And the sheep are led astray by false shepherds. The false teacher's message is always uplifting. It's always pleasant. It's always upbeat. It's never judgmental. It's designed to make you feel good about God and yourself. But do we remember that Jesus said, he told us about what the Holy Spirit's job is? Holy Spirit's job primarily is not to make you feel good. You say, well, isn't he the wonderful counselor? Yeah, he's the counselor. Um, doesn't he guide us into all truth? Yep, guides us into all truth. Doesn't he give us the peace that passes all understanding? Yep. It wasn't meant to be used as a decision-making tool for determining the will of God, but yes, he does. Give the peace that passes all understanding. But do you realize what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit? His job was to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Because what we really need is not more money in our bank account. What we really need is not a better husband or a better wife. What we really need is to be reconciled to God in Christ. That's why Jesus came. Not to pad your bank account. Not to make your job better or make you more successful. He came to deal with your biggest problem, your eternal problem, and that is your sin. And everything else that comes after that, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all the other stuff, everything that you need, God will provide. He is your father. He'll not give you a stone or a snake when, he, when you think he's giving you bread. He will provide all of your needs according to his riches and glory. And he will provide joy. And he will provide satisfaction. And he will provide fulfillment. But here's the deal. You ready for this? If your goal is to find in God your joy, your satisfaction, and your contentment in life, your purpose in life, you will fail to find it. But if you are pursuing God for what he is for you in Jesus Christ, if your desire is to worship him and to live a holy life before him and live in obedience to his word, the fruit of that is joy and satisfaction and contentment and meaning in life. But there is no shortcut to it. If you take the shortcut, you sabotage it. The focus is on Pleasing the Lord. That's why Paul said, 2 Corinthians 5, 9, Therefore we make it our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to the Lord. Even if I'm being stoned? Yes. Even if I'm shipwrecked? Yep. Even if my bank account fails and my business? Yep. It's frightening. It's a frightening thing to me, quite frankly, as I watched one of these worship services on the internet. I, I watched uh, Joel Osteen's uh, church, a worship service down there on the internet one day. And I tell you what, it was impressive. <laughs> no wonder that church is the biggest church in the country. And it's not a church, it's a crowd. But no wonder it's the biggest evangelical crowd in the country. And you know what? They got singing those worship songs and it was so slick and so well done and there was lights, and there were these professional musicians, and some of the best singers I've ever heard. 
And it was glorious and it was triumphal, tri- triumphalistic. Is that a word? Um, and I'm thinking, huh, this is really good. This is really, really good. And then he got up and he said, everybody stand with me and let's, let's say it. This is my Bible. I believe what, I said, what it says I should believe. And he goes on and on and everybody closes their Bible then and sticks it under their pew and they never need it again the rest of the service but he's, because he's going to stand up and he's not going to preach the word of God. He's going to preach his own ideas, the ideas of humanistic self-help teachers who've come before him and he's going to paste scripture verses on it to give it authority. And people are going to walk out of there feeling like they've worshipped God and they've heard from God and they are unchanged. And so they leave. They leave with the girlfriend that they've been living with, that they came into the service with, and nobody asks a question. They come in with their homosexual lover, and they leave with their homosexual lover, having no questions asked. Not even of the Word of God. The Word of God doesn't even ask them any questions, doesn't challenge them, because there is no Word of God. Not really. Not from God. And that's the danger. People come together in droves not to humble themselves before God, but to experience emotion. And then when a positive emotion is experienced, they call it worship. And please don't misunderstand me. I'm all about emotion in your relationship with Christ. I love the subjective side of of my relationship with Christ. Love it. But if you're living in sin and you can still do that, that's not worship. It's not worship. It can be if you're walking in the Spirit, if you're living in obedience to God's Word, then yes, it's glorious and it's wonderful, and God receives it as worship. But if you're living by your own agenda, living in sin, doing your own thing, rejecting the clear teaching of God's Word, rejecting His commands and His promises, and then you come into a service and you hear the music and you sing and you raise your hands... And you give glory to God from your mouth. It's just like Israel when God said, stop making your sacrifices. The stench of it makes me sick. Well, Lord, didn't you prescribe that we do these sacrifices? Yes, from a pure heart and a heart that desires to serve me. You don't love me. You don't love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that's evidence because you hate your neighbor. You hate him. You don't want to have anything to do with them. And the way you treat your wife, the way you treat your kids, the way you treat outsiders is evidence that you don't even belong to me. And yet you come in here and you sing the songs and you feel emotion. It's a lie. We've got to be careful, beloved, because there's so many things that feel spiritual that aren't from God. And that's the danger. They feel like they've connected with God, with the, God, with the heart of God. And the man behind the pulpit tells them it's true. But it never occurs to them that God might actually view what they are doing as nothing more than self-worship. A kind of religious experience that leaves the, the main issue of rebellion and sin in the unbeliever's heart unaddressed and disguised. And covers up the road to hell with uplifting music, slick presentations, positive thinking, warm feelings, all pasted together with a few quick verses of Scripture to give it authority. I mean, anybody can go to a church like that. 
And the really insidious thing is the man behind the pulpit tells them, it's okay. God loves you. God has a plan for you. He's not going to judge you. Isn't that what they were saying in Jeremiah's day? He's not going to judge us. We're his people. And so keep on. Keep coming to the services. Keep giving your money. Keep showing up. We love you. And it's the same message that Satan gave. God's all law. I'm all love. And so week after week, false teachers offer false hope with a false gospel to naive sinners who think all is well. Is that a valid fear? It's a valid fear. A fear that millions will stand before the Lord at the judgment and will hear these horrifying words, depart from me, I never knew you. And who was he speaking to? He was speaking to so-called church leaders, worship leaders, miracle service leaders, revivalist leaders. How do I know that? Because according to Jesus, these ones who, who will be most astounded when they hear this coming from the Lord's mouth to them are men and women who will say this, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And these will go away into everlasting fire. But the righteous into eternal life. That's the danger. That's the danger of this kind of ministry. If it can be ministry at all, it's a ministry of Satan. I've told you before, I'll tell you it again. Satan, there's, there are places in the world that Satan loves to live. You, you have your favorite vacation spot? You can live anywhere in the world. You got a picture, you got a place in mind? Satan does. And he lives there every day. He lives in churches. He lives in churches that teach lies week after week after week. And he feeds them and he nurtures them. And he helps people to feel good about their condition. And they don't realize they're on their way to hell. And so the really insidious one, I think, most of all, is this number five. The false teacher gives false hope to religious unbelievers. I can't tell you how many times, even in this church, and this is a beautiful thing, and we want this to happen all the time. And people who believe that they're Christians come and they get under the preaching of the word of God. Not under my ministry, but under the word of God. And as the word of God is brought to them week after week and day after day after day, they more clearly are able to see the condition of their own heart and they conclude, oh no, I've been a religious unbeliever all my life and I didn't know it. God, save me. God, change me. Forgive me for rejecting your lordship over my life. Make me new. I don't want to just be someone who believes a certain doctrine. I want to be a follower of Christ. I want to be ruled by your word. And they come, and they usually weeks or months later tell me, you know what? We were sitting in that service that one day, and the Holy Spirit so moved in my heart and convicted me of sin that I realized I was lost, and I think I got saved that day. I think I got saved that day, and I need to be baptized. I want to share my testimony so other people aren't as lost as I was sitting in the church. I'm almost tempted to ask for a raise of hands of how many of you were born again here, having thought you were a child of God. Yes, some of you are smiling at me. Having thought that you were a child of God all those years, all those years, Number six, 
The false teacher's character is saturated with pride. Look at verse 32. Behold, I am against those who have prophesied false dreams, declares the Lord, and related them and led my people astray by their falsehoods and reckless boasting. Reckless boasting. They're quick to say, I had a vision, I had a vision, I had a vision. Listen to me, listen to me, I had a vision. I got a word from God. Listen to me, I've got a word from God. And everybody turns their attention to these people. And what they're saying is, I have authority. I'm, I'm special. I'm more special than you are. I mean, all God's people are equal, but some of us are more equal than others. And I'm one of them. And notice how they do it. They do it by telling people about the amazing dream God had given them. The implication is that God speaks to me through dreams, and he makes, that makes me special. Only men who are especially anointed of the Spirit are granted the high privilege of receiving visions from the Lord, and I'm one of them, and you're not. So listen to me. Don't be deceived by this. The prophet Jeremiah says, they are false dreams designed to lead God's people astray. It's interesting to note that when the Apostle Paul spoke about his visions, he did it very reluctantly. His apostleship was being attacked, therefore the message of the gospel was being attacked. And so at one point he does talk about his visions, but he does it in such a way that as you read it, as I will here in a second, you're reading it and you're thinking, is he talking about himself or is he talking about somebody else? Because I really don't know. I, I need to go ask somebody. Help me figure this out. Is Paul talking about himself, or is there another man? Who's the other guy? Because Paul doesn't want to glory in his visions, and he does not want you to be impressed by his visions. And so he says this. Notice the wording. This is 2 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 2. If you want to look at it, you can. Um, or you can look it up later. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 2. Here he goes. Paul says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body, I do not know, or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. Anyway, such a man was caught up into the third heaven. And I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I don't know. God knows. Anyway, he was called up into the paradise and heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. On behalf, on behalf of such a man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except in regard to my weaknesses. For if I do wish to boast, I will not be foolish. For I will be speaking the truth. But if I refrain from this, but I will refrain from this, he says, so that no one, watch this, no one will credit me with more than he sees in me or hears from me. You know what Paul was afraid of? Paul's saying, don't put me up on a pedestal. Forget about this, I am of Paul business. You're not of Paul. Can Paul save you? I cannot save you. Did Paul have 